Hello listeners, during the recording of this episode, we had some technical issues that forced us to improvise. The audio quality is slightly lower than usual, but I'm sure that you will enjoy the content. Have a good episode. Welcome to episode 21 of the Philosopher Science Podcast, the podcast about free, libre, and open source software for science. Today, Patrick and I are interviewing Juan Pablo Carbajal about the scientific programming language GNU Octave. Hi, Juan. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Could you please introduce yourself as well as presenting some of your past and current research projects? Sure. So I'm a physicist. Uh, I've been um, working uh, with uh, Octave for a long time already, since 2003, more or less. And um, basically, I do uh, numerical simulations of complex systems in many fields of uh, physics and, and engineering and biology. Um, so I've been involved in uh, robotics, in um, industrial design, modeling uh, biological systems, uh, modeling social systems. Uh, I'm currently I'm working in uh, water systems and computational fluid dynamics. Okay, let's switch to the GNU Octave topic. What would be your 30-second elevator pitch for GNU Octave? Well, Octave is a programming language that is basically a scientific calculated calculator on asteroids. Um, so you can do everything you can do with a scientific calculator plus everything you can do with a computer. And then the language is super simple. It's very easy to learn. And it doesn't try to do much more than that. So it's a very specific language, I would call it. And yeah, essentially it's that. It's very useful for numerical uh, computation and uh, for simulating and optimizing nonlinear systems, uh, data analysis, and this kind of uh, um, applications. Yeah. So could one say that the Octave programming language is more close to Python or more close to C++, or how could one imagine the language? Okay, that's a good question. In a way, I would say Octave is closer to C, maybe, uh, for the kind of applications that it's usually used for. Um, but at the same time, it's an interpreted language. so. You, There is no compilation process involved. Um, so in that sense, it's more similar to Python. However, um, when you compare it with Python, Octave is, Octave is not that general. Python is basically strong in the whole computer science field, I would say, uh, while Octave is stronger in linear algebra and numerical uh, simulations. So. Um, For example, I don't know, if you want to do advanced uh, string manipulations or string processing, that maybe is not, definitely Octave will not be as strong as Python in that uh, regard. So I think it is fair to say that from a proprietary software perspective, MATLAB would be a counterpart to Octave. What do you say about the compatibility between MATLAB and Octave? Can one easily run an Octave script in MATLAB or vice versa? So Octave can be seen as a clone of MATLAB um, because Octave has a, the main goal of Octave is to free, to liberate a MATLAB code. Basically, um, so interoperability is a goal of Octave. 
Um, so it strives to be fully compatible with MATLAB. They call it drop-in compatibility. So basically you take a program that was written in MATLAB and then you can just run it in Octave. Um, at the same time, uh, MATLAB is a, a fast moving target. So Octave, it is always a little bit lagging behind the latest features of MATLAB. And um, maybe you actually need some kind of recoding to go from one to the other, but it should be minimal. And it is actually, when you find something that works in MATLAB and not in Octave, it is seen as a bug in Octave. Really, it should be completely compatible. Now, the compatibility goes in one direction. So anything that you write in MATLAB should run in Octave. That's a goal of the community. But the other way around, we don't stress it. It's not, you can have a language extensions in Octave that won't run in MATLAB. Okay, so you, you may be able to implement additional features in Octave that are not supported yet in MATLAB or will never be supported in MATLAB. Definitely. We try to avoid that because of past experience in which we have implemented something and then uh, it is implemented in MATLAB in a slightly different way. So when we need to, to uh, re-engineer what we have done. So this is now a discouraged, but of course you can always extend with packages and toolbox updates. So you can add that functionality there. But nevertheless, the language itself has some extensions um, of the MATLAB M language. Uh, and um these things probably will stay because they are considered better in some sense or more flexible or that help the quality of the code. Um, so yeah, Octave in a way extends MATLAB. In past years, 2006, maybe it was a year in which Octave had a lot of functionalities that uh, MATLAB didn't have, but since then, most of the extra Octave functionalities have been included in uh, MATLAB. Okay, so if done transparently and properly, uh, users could uh, develop code that run both in MATLAB and uh, Octave and collaborate on a common code. Is that right? Absolutely. That's possible. Yes, yes, that's possible. The, indeed, there are uh, toolboxes or uh, packages that uh, work on both on MATLAB and on Octave. Yeah. Okay. MATLAB provides a wide range of toolboxes, for example, image processing or signal processing. Is there any equivalent feature in Octave? There is. There is. We still call them packages, uh, not toolboxes. And um, of course, as I said before, uh, recent developments in the MATLAB toolboxes are tracked with a lag in Octave. But uh, the most used uh, toolboxes are somehow reflected in Octave, for example, image processing, signal processing, control, um, et cetera, those that are uh, most used, they are reflected, yes, in, in Octave. And there is where the one-to-one -one compatibility may be lost, uh, again, because of the speed in which MATLAB toolboxes are developed and um, the lag in the community to implement. The, the, really, there are some toolboxes in MATLAB that oscillate in behavior from year to year, and um, that's sometimes very hard to track uh, from the Octave community. Okay. Uh, recently, I was speaking with a colleague about uh, this interview, and he was wondering if GNU Octave added the toolbox equivalent to Simulink. Uh, I know that Scilab, uh, another alternative to MATLAB, offers similar features, but uh, we were wondering if GNU Octave adds something similar. 
Okay, that's uh, something that's been in the air for a couple of years already. Uh, currently, there is no tool in Octave that can reproduce the functionality that Simulink offers. And definitely there is no dropping compatibility there. So if your code uh, written for uh, Simulink on your models, written in Simulink will not, cannot be run. Nevertheless, the main uh, developer of Octave was recently hired by the, uh, one of the companies developing uh, Scilab. And there is the intention to integrate XCOS with Octave, or at least increase the interfunctionality between those. And XCOS does implement a very um, a functionality that is very similar to Simulink. Yeah, it still is not like dropping compatible, but uh, the same kind of uh, you know manipulation boxology sometimes called right, uh, where you can design your models as boxes and then connect them with cables and track how the signals flow in those models it can be done in XCOS, which is part of Scilab, and. Uh, there is an intention, I don't know exactly the details of the company, but um, there is this intention to provide this, yes. Okay. So next, or another important feature of MATLAB is the parallel processing toolboxes. So you can integrate GPUs or run it on a high-performance computer cluster. So what about Octav? Do you have some similar features to integrate GPUs or run on multiple nodes of a cluster? Um, there is... Um, a little bit of licensing issues there on integrating with CUDA and, and other systems. It can be done. It's no problem because Octave can be extended very easily with C++, C code, and Fortran code. But uh, to distribute something like that has been problematic. Uh, there is, or there was at least an implementation of OpenCL for uh, um, graphics acceleration. Um, but I don't know what's the status of that. For Parallelization in like computer laboratories in which you just send different tasks to different nodes that can be done. There is the parallel pro, um, the parallel uh, package, and of course, if you're running in a, a Linux or Unix systems, it's easy to to parallelize different calls to the Octave interpreter. So, um, but yes, there is there is some functionality for a. Parallel processing, that's multi-cores and multiple computers that can be done with the parallel package. Um, there are some other packages as well that have been developed to include. Uh, but um, as far as I know, there is no official package still that implements that. Okay, and what are the license issues with CUDA? So you cannot ship CUDA code, or what is the problem there exactly? So the problem is that you need to link against uh, Octave and things like that. So I think uh, so far, um, and what we have been discussing with the help of the people from the Free Software Foundation is that uh, there seems to be some sort of violation of uh, GDPR licenses when you do that. But uh, there have been this, there is this guy implementing OpenCL interfaces that apparently do not have this problem. But again, this. Uh, I must say I'm not. I didn't dwell uh, deeply into this issue. For me, uh, GPUs yet are not uh, a core thing for Octave. For what I do in Octave, they are, for example, with when I do CFD. But um, so I actually I'm not 100% into the topic. But one can easily scan the archives of the mailing list of Octave uh, maintainers. And then one could read the whole discussion about the OpenCL and the CUDA implementation. Okay. 
in the open source world, there are other open source alternatives to MATLAB, which are Scilab and FreeMath. How does Octave uh, differs or resemble them? So the core difference uh, between Octave and Scilab and FreeMath is this uh, imperative on being dropping compatible with MATLAB. As I said before, one of the main goals of Octave is to liberate code that was written for MATLAB. So that would be the, the main differences. Then, of course, Scilabam offers a similar language, but not dropping compatible with MATLAB. So interoperability, there is, there is need to recode some of the things. Um, the basic language differ. Primat, on the other side, they tried to be fully compatible, but I think the development got stalled. I don't know actually if it's actively, actively developed. Um, their search for page, I think, uh, last time update it was 2013 or something like that, and since then there is not any other news. And the group of developers is relatively small. Not that the one of Octave is huge, but I think there are like seven guys at least registered in the Octave Forge uh, site as developers. Uh, have you personally used a Scilab or FreeMath? I did use a Scilab uh, for a while, but uh, finally abandoned it uh, because. I mean, at that time, it wasn't that popular in the um, scientific community. And uh, this interoperability with MATLAB that Octave tried to have make a collaboration with people that use MATLAB much easier. I never used directly free MAT. I just knew it existed, but uh, I never actually used it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Octave is compatible with MATLAB mostly in syntax, uh, you think that uh, allows more scientists to jump easily between platform, or at least it is easier to make the jump between platform and you can kind of jumpstart the, the av available code from MATLAB's uh, widely available code? So um, that's a very good uh, question and a very important point. Um, I think from a personal perspective, If you have been, you know, storing the code you have developed uh, in MATLAB, um, then of course you can reuse most of the things you have done if you jump into Octave. That's definitely an advantage. Now about reusing a MATLAB code, usually people, users of MATLAB use the um, online um, platform that the MATWorks offers and most of the people don't usually read the terms of use of that website which essentially locks any code that is there um, to be used only on MATWORK products. So by accepting the terms of use, what you're saying is that the code you download or upload there will be only used in MATWORK products. So Octave cannot actually use that code. What we do usually, we ask if we find something really, really useful, we ask the authors to release that code in an independent way, GitHub, GitLab, Mercurial, emails, whatever, websites, so that we can use it. But uh, we cannot directly exploit the code in the exchange service that the MATWORKS offers. Okay. So if someone would be interested to switch from MATLAB to Octave, could you point out some tutorials for this transition or where's a good starting point to look at? So really, the transition should be null. Like there should be no effort, uh, there is no no effort to move from MATLAB to Octave. It should be zero. What people may find is functionality that is not yet implemented. So the best, of course, there are books nevertheless on Octave, and there is an introduction to Octave 
which uh, currently I don't have the name, but if I quickly search, we can find it, but it's a book published in 2016, uh, which uh, is an introduction to the latest version of Octave, and um, it definitely works as a tutorial, but it's not meant for the transition, because again, the transition should be uh, effortless. It's more for people who have not uh, used any of the languages. So it's really a tutorial from, from ground off. But it can help in, in some cases. Now, there's the other thing, if we want to use a functionality in Octave that is not in MATLAB, and then of course, yes, then uh, one uh, needs some kind of introduction, and for that is the Octave manual, is the best reference I know of. It's full of tutorials and uh, examples, and it's quite verbose. And then there is more support in the mailing list and the wiki. Yeah, okay. Just like many other interpreted languages such as R, Maxima, or Python, GNU Octave can be used from a command line interface. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, since uh, version 4 in 2015, there's now a graphical interface which was known as Qt Octave that is now included by default. Uh, is there any other alternative user interface or Qt Octave is the, the, the only one that is available? So Qt Octave was a popular project, but um, the GUI that ships now with Octave is not based on Qt Octave. Qt Octave just was a layer on top of uh, the Octave process that was communicating with it. And um, this kind of soft uh, GUI uh, or shallow GUI has a lot of problems. So the team decided to implement um, uh, uh, integrated GUI with Octave. And it is very similar, of course, to Qt Octave because it's also implemented in Qt, using Qt, uh, and because Qt Octave already was reproducing the look and feel of the um, MATLAB interface. So in that sense, it's very similar, um, but at the implementation level, it's very different. Okay, so it's it's not Qt Octave that was merged with the project. It's a totally a new project that emerged from the Octave community. Yeah, indeed. Okay, do you know what happened to Qt Octave then? It vanished, or it simply wasn't relevant anymore? So, Octave has some serious bugs related to the way uh, it was communicating with Octave. Basically, handling the memory had a lot of troubles, like things were not updated in the GUI while uh, the process was updating them, and things like that. And they were really hard to uh, solve problems. And it was just based because the, the communication between the GUI and Octave was shallow. Really, Octave had no access to the memory that Octave was using was just trying to extract that information by you know sending messages and things like that. Um, so I think the project died because of its complexity on trying to solve those problems. I could check if actually some of the developers of Qt Octave participated on the development uh, of the GUI. Since at least having um, GUI developed in locksteps with Octave uh, removes many of the problems of having like the GUI released uh, on, a, on a specific date and then a new version of Octave comes out and then like a rollout of features and compatibility in between versions, like having everything in one package, at least it removes that kind of incompatibility. Yeah, definitely remove that one and solve a lot of bugs that were uh, non-bugs, basically, just because uh, yeah, having this soft communication was not, not the way to go. What I must say is that since the GUI, the amount of users in Octave increased exponentially. And uh, of course, we don't know it's because 
of the GUI or because some other factor, uh, pricing maybe of the malware or more people moving into the Floss community. But for us, it's, it was a curious thing that uh, it was already a highly requested feature of Octave, and uh, once it was implemented, the amount of users increased uh, enormously. There is also to say that at the same time, the machine learning uh, course of um, was in, in Coursera was published, so and they use Octave, and that uh, may also have been another reason to have a lot of uh, users coming into the software. The the new interface of Octave, feature wise, it is quite. You said it is inspired from uh, MATLAB. Uh, on what features are? Is there many features that are not in MATLAB that you have in Octave? Or feature wise, what is the difference or re resemblance between both interfaces? Um, so, in terms of functionality, they are basically the same. Uh, now, in terms of how they look like, uh, MATLAB changed the the, the aspect. Uh, heavily on the latest version, uh, going to this kind of tab uh, uh, organization instead of Windows. Uh, the, Qt, uh, the Octave um, GUI based on Qt is still based kind of like in panels and not in tabs. But it's uh, just a way of organizing it. So navigating Octave is more like um, the old style MATLAB uh, GUI. Um, but in terms of compatibility, uh, in terms of functionality, it's basically the same. There are some things that uh, are in the GUI in, in MATLAB that are irrelevant for Octave, like uh, defining paths and this kind of thing. Uh, but um, probably something people will add. But again, this is not part of the language, so it's more like how the, the user experience, let's call it. So this may change in, in the near future. But in terms of uh, the features to interact with the language, they are, I would say, Yeah, keep it keep it with panel. <laughs> I use the old version of MATLAB, so if I need to transition, I'll go with the panel version before going to with a ribbon version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, happens in, in many languages. Uh, they change to this kind of a uh, tab or a ribbon organization. Uh, it's unclear to me what, what which one is better. Um, I feel this new one a little bit more cumbersome, and I feel I, I see myself moving more in the screen that I was doing before. But uh, I guess it's always a matter of uh, getting used to it. Right? Okay. I think another interesting question would be, can you elaborate why it's named GNU Octave and not just Octave? So usually, the, or Richard Stallman says it should be pronounced new, like the animal. <laughs> so it will be new Octave. Uh, and this is because at some point, cannot uh, point, pinpoint it exactly, uh, Octave was included into the new project. And um, then it, be, it got the, the prefix new to it as being part of the new uh, software package or software project. And um, it also started being uh, hosted in, with the uh, infrastructure of the Free Software Foundation. So yeah, that was ma that's mainly the reason of the new there. Uh, if you use it back in 2003, and it was not the case. It was called just Octave. Okay, so by the fact that it is hosted by the FSF, that means that that's one of the reasons why it is covered under GPL? Definitely. It was, although already covered before by GPL, yes. But that's a, but being part of a new project, that's a, a condition, yes. So, But it was already fulfilled before you joined the, pro the project. Yeah. Okay, 
so the name was changed uh, akin to like nano is gnu nano and like to, to just to they all fall under the umbrella of gnu so to to have uniform naming or is that the reason exactly so there is this new project that uh, tries to collect a a massive amount of software that is uh, free in the sense of the Free Software Foundation and um, it's like a collection of, of, of uh, programs and uh, most of them I think if not all of them have the new uh, prefix on them. Uh, are you using uh, GNU Octave in your research? Every day, yes. So Octave is part of my pipeline. Uh, not always. I use it, uh, Python but um, yes, still a, a core tool in, in my research. Uh, in which way do you contribute to the project? Do you contribute code, technical support, writing documentation, uh, translation, any other things you're doing for the project? My contributions are mainly uh, maintaining uh, packages. So it is code, but not uh, directly into the core of Octave. Although I have a few contributions to the core of Octave, uh, they are not very important contributions. And then uh, we, I do participate on all the uh, communication channels, so that would call technical support maybe. And I help with documentation, improving the existing documentation or uh, writing documents from things that are not documented. Um, the other thing I do is I offer courses uh, of uh, new octave, and um, one of one of those courses that repeats every year is in CERN. Uh, where, yeah, just teaching uh, people uh, how to use Octave or just how to transition from MATLAB to Octave. Um, so I think that I will put it inside the other thing I do. Okay, so a broad contribution. So I think one could say that MATLAB is the standard used in most companies. Are you aware of any company using Octave instead? Yes, yes. Um, I'm aware of many companies using Octave. And um, I think what was also um, a success in the message and the way we, we um, promote the use of Octave is that it is not one or the other. So you can have both. And maybe or one of the reasons why uh, many companies are um, stick to MATLAB is because they have a official support and they have some kind of warranty or they can interact in a company-to-company -company, uh, way. Uh, but for their office use and for many of the employees, they can just use Octave and this gives them more control on their budget. For the same reason, I know several small companies, water utilities and engineer offices that they have maybe only a couple of licenses in MATLAB and the rest of the employees will use Octave. Yeah. So the main reason uh, these companies I know personally um, use Octave is because um, on one side, I think they have a little bit understand the philosophy behind a uh, free and libre software. And, um, but on the other side is because they can keep the budget of licenses and things under their own control. They can control 100% because, okay, how much money they're going to invest in, so, in software. We help companies when we answer the questions regarding Octave. We always try to make them understand that the word free is a sad word in English because most people understand it as gratis that you don't have to pay for. And um, there's no such a thing as software that doesn't have a cost associated with it. So um, we always try to communicate this idea that uh, investing in Octave is a way of 
keeping the project alive, and that means that their work and their software and the things they have developed in this language will not die. So donations or time or other kind of contributions are actually investments. And um, there is no such a thing as gratis software. So I'm aware that some universities use MATLAB for teaching. What would be your argument to use Octave instead of MATLAB for teaching purposes at universities? So I think the last talk I heard from Richard Salman, he said one should not teach dependency. And um, what happens many times is that uh, when we teach with a proprietary tool, um, what we are actually doing is making uh, the people that are learning dependent on the software. I think maybe this one be one of the key success of uh, software like MATLAB that is so is the facto standard because they make a lot of effort making students use it. So that's definitely an argument against using proprietary software on teaching purposes. On the other side, I think teaching with a software that can be adapted and that can be customized is always an advantage. Uh, you can integrate it with an investment of time, of course, with many other softwares or programs, uh, while usually with proprietary software, you don't have that choice. So if you want to customize your courses or if you want to teach your students how to do this kind of uh, advanced hacking, if you want, if that's the core of the teaching, uh, then definitely this is the tool to go. And also I'm um, one of the guys who believe that uh, the current licensing system of uh, licenses, so selling licenses is not really compatible with the nature of software. And there's a little bit of a market trick to make money in a not necessarily very ethical way with software. Um, so also in, in those principles, based on principles, basically, I will also be against uh, teaching at universities or schools with proprietary software. Yeah. We'll talk a bit about the community of GNU Octave. Uh, do you have a rough estimate about how many people are involved in the project? Earlier, you talked about seven developers, but about outside of that, how many people are involved? Yeah, so the people who have direct access to uh, pushing to the core of Octave is about 20 developers. Um, of course, the heavy work is done by about yeah seven or ten uh, guys. But then we have a huge community of people developing uh, packages, so extensions to and toolboxes. And that is hard to to know how many people actually contribute to that. It's a lot larger than uh, 20. And it's been growing steadily in the last uh, 10 years. So um, it's very hard to estimate how many people are actually contributing to the project itself because by creating a software a package that you distribute even yourself, um, it's already a contribution. Now, directly into the core of Octave, I would say something around 20 to 30 people. Okay. And how do people communicate within the project? Is there specific communication channels, mailing lists, uh, any IRC rooms? Yeah, so we have two very important mailing lists. One is the maintainer's mailing list, which the purpose is to, to um, communicate our developing of Octave or packages of Octave. And then we have the help mailing list, which is for general questions and general discussions about the language. That's usually the, the, the main communication channel. Then there are there is a IRC chat room uh, which is called Octave in Freenode, and uh, this is mostly used by the developers. But from time to time, there are some people asking random questions there as well. There is also a way of communicating directly with some of the developers via 
social networks, Twitter, Facebook, etc. But the main communication channels are the main list. Okay. So is the project actively looking for contributors? Absolutely. Yes. As I said before, because of this uh, priority of Octave trying to liberate a code that was written for a MATLAB, uh, tracking the features of MATLAB is very hard, and the more contributors, the faster we'll be able to do that, and the better. And we are participating in many of the Summer of Code projects and uh, trying to recruit uh, more people as active uh, developers and contributors, and it's working more or less fine, but we'll be happy if more people join us. Yeah. So... Which skills would be required to contribute to your project? Any special programming language? Do you need help in translating? Or what could people do to support the project? So as you said before, already answering questions in the mailing list or in the Stack Overflow or the many web pages, Quora and all these sites that they have questions for is already a contribution uh, to advance the language um, You need a solid knowledge of C++. And if you want to work on the interpreter, so the, the program that reads the input from the user, you need some knowledge also of Bison and, and Readline and these tools that uh, are used to write um, interpreters. But um, besides that, it's just C++. Uh, translation work, we have a lot of contributors doing that, but we don't have all the languages, so that's definitely something very, very useful. The GUI, I think now it's only really like in 20 languages, but uh, the more the better, yeah. For implementation of features in um, in Octave, I know that in MATLAB you could open every like function and see the code in there. It's, if I'm not mistaken, it was written in MATLAB code itself. Is it possible to do the same in Octave? Once interpreter is in place, you can write anything in, in the M code, right? In the M file uh, language. That, that's correct. Um, now, this language is not very efficient. So if now you're getting into a, you know, heavy a, a work or something else, then there is a pressure to go lower in the, in the language. So you move into a compiled language. Um, so this, there's this two-level language dilemma, right? That uh, some languages like Julia solve. But um, so there is that, or or Cython, where some some features you can code them and see they're compiled once, and they don't need to be reinterpreted re each time. Yes, you still need to handle two languages. One is the interpreted language, and one is the compiled language. Yes, in in uh, Octave is not yet as integrated as Cython, but um, you you still need the skill that you need to know two languages basically. Okay. And uh, but yes, uh, the. The M file code is there, so usually it's a very common process that the new functionality is first implemented in M file, and if there is some sort of a performance a wall that we are hitting and it's an important feature that that's implemented, then some parts of it are moved into C++. Uh, but uh, there are a whole uh, bunch of functionalities just M file code, yeah. Okay, now we'll switch to a slightly lighter topic. Uh, what is your vision about FLUS and its importance for the openness of science? I think there can be no trust in scientific uh, development if the tools that we use to generate that development are hidden and cannot be shared and cannot be explored and cannot be revised. So for me, uh, FLUS 
is a key component of open science. And I think it's needed actually that they, to increase reproducibility, to speed up the transfer of knowledge. And sometimes we hit this, maybe you, I, I heard some of your uh, podcasts and I'm pretty sure you face this in which people say, well, you don't need my code because you already have the algorithm described in the, in the article. And the truth is that the article never contains all the little decisions that you do line by line in a piece of code. And sometimes those decisions are really important. And because they are too technical or they seem to be just a detail, they don't appear in the final publication. So it's actually the code that has the final and the total content of uh, the algorithm of, or the, uh, of the software you develop and to use to uh, process your data or whatever. So um, the code is definitely needed. And then running that code to reproduce one-to-one -one the results that were published and from then on, Start changing and modifying and analyzing things that the original author may have not may have forgot or ignored. Um, it is very important. It speeds up uh, development. I'm, I live it. I have lived this situation many times, and um, I still don't understand how people fail to to see this. That um, having the article and the code puts you already on a position that is much much advanced. There is a huge time investment saved by having access. The algorithm. And of course, if the algorithm is written in a language that you can read, like the M file, but you still need to uh, invest uh, 10K dollars to, to get it running, I think that's a blockade. That's, that's a wall. And do you think that FLUS, well, I'm playing the devil's advocate right now, do you think that FLUS can have negative impact on science? I've been thinking about it, and I must say I may be completely biased by my belief, but I cannot see. Um, any uh, negative impact on science. Now, if we talk about technology and uh, the market as it is now, well, you can see that the, it definitely can have negative impact. I mean, we have seen that companies have gone bankrupt because uh, software companies uh, went bankrupt because uh, there was um, a free and libre open source implementations of the functionality. And um, I mean, take R as an example. And uh, so, it can have negative impacts in the market at this, as it is now. But uh, on science, I cannot see any point of where a flaws can have a negative impact. No? But I'm happy to hear a different opinion. Uh, I mean, maybe I learned something. Would you, what would you say? <laughs> Patrick, we'll have a try at that. <laughs> I think in... Some cases, it's probably not worse to fight this fight for floss software, because if some of your collaborators insist to use MATLAB or to use a Word document, so it's probably easier just to use the non-floss version of the software, edit this document, and send it back. And so, yeah, I think this is my conclusion. Yeah, but yeah, sometimes you cannot convince everyone, but you can still over time show them that it is a possibility that is uh, an avenue that could be used. So in my experience, I've, I've been working in the last two years in um, EAVAC, which is a water research institution from ETH in Zurich. And um, it is heavily proprietary institution. Okay. Everything is in Windows. Everything is on, on proprietary software. Even the research is done mainly on proprietary uh, software tools. And 
slowly there are people that have been interested in Python, Julia, R, into the workflow. And what I see is that once people try it and understand and see the advantages, it's a way, there is no way back. I think, I said like, converse people, right? That they realize, oh, this is so cool. Um, mainly because of this interoperability, this um, capacity to integrate many pieces of software in an easy, uh, non-hacking way uh, of doing things. And um, so I've seen myself a little slowly conversion of uh, researchers that were used to fully uh, proprietary environments and suddenly uh, becoming absolutely pro-floss. Um, so I definitely think it's worth fighting. I mean, I will not stress it to the point of uh, creating conflicts at work, but uh, definitely push it a little bit, yeah? Okay. We are almost done with the interview, and we will proceed with some of our classic quick questions that we ask all of our interviewees. Excluding LIGO, as it is a really popular answer, in recent years, what do you think was the most notable scientific discovery? So for me, because of the field I come from, um, the most notable scientific discovery was uh, the development of the do calculus to do um, causal analysis and inference. So we can start understanding from data uh, the cause and effect uh, relations between the, the, this data and not only associations. So this is for me um, a big step forward in machine learning and artificial intelligence. It's still not propagated over the whole uh, community, but I think it was and it will be recognized as a breakthrough in the coming years when uh, the hype of associative methods and statistical methods uh, is uh, gone. We'll still see that uh, the development of these tools uh, were fundamental towards the understanding and the implementation of intelligence. Yeah, So I'm completely not into the uh, astronomical uh, discoveries here, which are, have a lot of popularity, but more maybe into the uh, understanding of uh, mental processes. Yeah. Nice. Um, and what is your favorite text processing tool? So I have a lot of years with LaTeX and um, LibreOffice, but lately I've been moving into Markdown and um, Retext and all these, yeah, Markdown languages and uh, Pandoc as a core tool to generate from this Markdown uh, all the other formats that I was using before. But that's kind of like the format, I would say, of the documents I generate. As tools, I usually use the simplest text editors like Nano, Gedit, and um, and things like that. I'm not an Emacs uh, fan. So I use it sometimes, but uh, it, it never catch up on me. Huh? <laughs> okay. Is there anything else we forgot to ask you or that you would like to have asked about? I actually was thinking about this question and I, it, it was hard because uh, you covered this um, quite completely. I would say maybe the um, use of Octave in actual science, uh, there is... we. The committee is trying to build um, a collection of articles that uh, explicitly cite uh, Octave uh, as a tool for the language. And um, it's interesting to see the enormous amount of uh, articles, scientific articles, that uh, report Octave as a tool, and also the amount of books 
that uh, are written with the title where the word Madland is in the title, but actually the um, authors of those books use Octave. Um, that's also, so again, the role of Octave in academia, I think um, is something to, it's interesting. People kind of use it, but not acknowledge it. And we still don't understand the phenomena, probably because if you write a book that says introduction to MATLAB, it's much more, uh, it sells a lot more than one that says introduction to New York State. But we are not sure what the actual reason is. Okay, that concludes our questions. Is there anything else you would like to share with us? Just that uh, I, I found your uh, podcast super cool. I, uh, until you contact us, I did not know about it. And lately I've been uh, hearing all the chapters. I think it's really nice. Um, and uh, yeah, it's very informative. I have uh, got to know a lot of uh, new tools I was not aware of. So it was great. And I'm very happy that I can be part of this. Thanks. Thank you, Juan, and you, for your time and this interview. Uh, for our listeners, what is the best way to contact you? Um, I think if you just search my name uh, on Google, you will get all my contact information and it's you know, the, the best approach. Twitter is also um, an option. I don't check Twitter that often, though. This will be all for today's episode of the Philosopher Science Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can reach me on Twitter at DLPK. And you can reach me at underscore DBrass or both of us at Philosopher Science. Also, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music and Spotify. You can help us by recommending our show to your friends and colleagues. Our website is on a new location. We moved it to flossforscience.com, where you can find all of our contact informations and a link to our GitHub page, where you can submit subject ideas for future episodes. You can also listen to our episodes or find the RSS feed to get all of our interviews delivered directly to your favorite podcast player. Our current schedule is to release an episode on the first Wednesday of every month. We hope you enjoyed the show and that we will see you all in your next episode. Bye. Bye.